0: It was so tight that you actually had to remove your helmet in order to be able to fit through.
1: Hey guys, I'm Ezra David Romero.
2: And I'm Carrie Klein. This is Outdoorsy, a podcast from Valley Public Radio.
1: We take you to wild places in Central California and introduce you to people who explore them.
2: Today, we're venturing to a different kind of destination. It's not exactly outdoors, but there's no heating or air conditioning.
1: It's musty, damp, and that's what some people love about it.
2: And often the only light source is the light you bring.
1: We're going underground. In this episode, we're exploring the world of spelunking.
2: But, Ezra, I should say, people who do this don't actually call it spelunking. They refer to it simply as caving.
1: Well, no matter what you call it, in this episode we'll meander through a threatened cave system in the region, find out all about the gear you need for underfoot activities,
2: and learn about subterranean spots in Sequoia National Park. Did you know there are more than three hundred caves there?
1: In December, I went underground to a place called Millerton Caves along the San Joaquin River Gorge with a local caver.
2: That's right there where my foot yeah,
1: was. The caves are about a twenty-minute drive from Fresno, plus a thirty-minute hike once you arrive. They're in an area where the river cuts through a steep canyon. A 13 mile trail runs along the river here. We took a shortcut off Aubrey Road to get there. You'll know you're there when you see huge piles of boulders on either side of the trail. Caver Paul Martin is showing me around the mile and a half long system, split up into three main sections. We're about 30 feet underground. This is, this is like almost like cathedral like in here.
3: It is cathedral like. Yeah.
1: The cave system was formed by an underground stream flowing through granite. But it isn't accessible year-round, because when there's a lot of rain, the cave is roaring with water.
0: During the
3: flooding, that's when it carves, and it's, it's powerful enough to keep swishing the gravels around and keep digging down and down. It's like, it's like sign paper, and it carves these amazing shapes, grooves, sharp edges. And if you hadn't seen it, you would have no idea that water is capable of doing something like that.
1: But the thing is, plans for a new reservoir above Millerton Lake are threatening the cave's existence. If plans for Temperance Flat go through and the dam is built, then Millerton Caves would sit several hundred feet under water. That water would be used for farms and cities across California.
3: We have something that's so unique to this area, we're really even into the world, and we're gonna destroy it in favor of crops that we already have surplus of. And that just seems like a, a tremendous shame because we've got gazillions of oranges and we only have one cave like this.
1: Even if the project is approved, it's years away from being built. To listen to the story about Temperance Flat, visit kvpr.org.
2: So this cave system might not be around forever, but you said there are others in the area? Yeah,
1: there are so many caves in the region, but most are unmarked and many aren't open to the public. One that is open to the public is Crystal Cave in Sequoia National Park. It's one of the most popular caves in all of California. For the last six years, Katie Whiteman's managed that cave. She says there's more than 300 other caves
0: in the park. They're not huge. We don't have caves that go for 400-plus miles like Mammoth Cave National Park. The beauty of these caves isn't necessarily in the stalactites and the stalagmites, but it's in the walls, that really beautiful marbled rock that you kind of wind your way through.
1: Whiteman loves to explore
0: Crystal Cave
1: in Sequoia. More than 65,000 people visited there last year, and it opens in May. The marble cave has three miles of passage, but only about half-mile is open to the public. Other parts of the complex maze of a cave can be explored in special programs. Whiteman says her favorite section is usually off-limits. It's called the phosphorescent
0: room. You turn off your light and you're kind of thrown into just this mysterious darkness. I remember sitting there thinking about how lucky I was to be sitting in a place that I couldn't actually see because it was totally dark, but I was a part of this journey that was protecting this darkness. And then it was really fun to get out because we had to squeeze out through this other passageway that you had to be completely on your stomach, and it was so tight that you actually had to remove your helmet in order to be able to fit through.
1: As one of California's most visited subterranean places, Crystal Cave often needs cleaning, but we're not talking about just candy wrappers and debris.
0: It's estimated that every visitor leaves about a belly button size full of lint when they travel through a cave. Kind of a disgusting picture. And that can affect not the, only the aesthetics of the cave, where you kind of get this kind of like gray film of the trails and these kind of lint balls everywhere. But it also affects the ecosystem. The invertebrates will actually feed on that
2: cave lint. So our belly button lint is feeding the underground?
1: Not exactly, Carrie. We're talking about dead skin cells, hair, and fiber left behind from our clothes.
2: That still sounds pretty gross.
1: Yeah, it sort of is. (laughs) You know, but to stop millipedes and other bugs from gorging on that fuzz, crews periodically clean the cave. Last year, volunteers removed 1,300 pounds of lint from Crystal Cave. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot of lint. Whiteman also says to prevent harm to caves, there's certain etiquette that visitors
0: should follow. The big thing is no touching. It's kind of a weird message just because you need to touch the cave in order to move around it. As cavers, we always wear gloves so that way the harmful oils on our skin don't come in contact with the cave surface and we're not disrupting any of those natural processes that help to form the cave. Whiteman says the only thing you
1: want to leave behind in caves are footprints. And for the safety of the caves, it's actually illegal to go into most of the other 300-plus caves in the park. You have to become a cave trustee to enter them, but that process is on hold as a program is being developed.
2: But never fear, though. There are plenty of other caves to explore in the Sierra. There is Boyden Cavern in Kings Canyon National Park and many in Stanislaw National Forest and Kern County. The trick is that they're not always marked, so you have to do some sleuthing or find someone who knows the area. And if you're looking to do that, I've found the guide for you. Meet Mark Balcom.
3: Scrapes and bruises are kind of... (laughs) Standard.
2: A hiker, backpacker, and caver living outside Fresno.
3: My wife commented for the long time, that's that's how I know you had fun if you've got a scraper or a bruise.
2: He's a retired nurse, and he lives conveniently near Millerton Caves with his wife and his dog, Jim.
3: He's harmless but noisy.
2: He's been caving seriously for about 10 years, which means he got started in his 50s.
3: Why'd he start so late in life?
2: Well, he actually went caving once as a kid in Montana. He says he always remembered how fun it was. But decades passed, and he just never got back out there until.
3: Went to a Sierra Club dinner a number of years ago and learned that we had a local cave club called the San Joaquin Valley Grotto and went to a meeting there. And the rest is history.
2: He says joining your local grotto is a really good way to get started.
3: Find a grotto and. Ask if they can go on a beginner trip. People in the caving community are remarkably willing to work with you if you show interest and show up, but um, it, it takes some effort on your part.
2: Caving's not a solo sport, so getting involved really means finding your people.
3: Cave is a really bad place to get panicky because there's no quick, easy way out. So having people that you trust, you can use that as a tool to calm yourself.
2: You always want at least one person with experience, and knowledge about the cave you're exploring is essential. Mark says the ideal group size is about three to six people. That way, if someone gets injured, there's always one person to stay behind while another gets help. But if your group gets too big, he says, it can just take forever to get through tight spaces. He learned that lesson a few years ago.
3: There was one fairly big cave that we went to with about 10 people. And it was anticipated to be about a five hour trip, but some of the people had problems and we needed to take more safety precautions to get them through, and we ended up being there 18 hours. We started at 11 o'clock one day and when we came out it was about six o'clock the next morning.
1: I think I'd get way panicky in that situation. (laughs) That's a lot of time underground.
2: Well it sounds like when you're with the right people you know how to calm each other and deal with surprises like that. Mark says they had planned to camp anyway and had pretty much all their supplies on hand.
1: Yeah what kind of supplies do you even need when you go caving?
2: That was one of my big questions. A caving bag just seems like kind of a mysterious black box to me.
3: Cave harness, ascender, crawl, part of my frog.
2: So there's lots of fancy equipment you can get to go caving, but Mark says the most important supply is light. It can get dark in there. So every person should have at least three light sources, including a powerful headlamp and batteries.
1: I guess that makes sense because if you need to change
3: the batteries in one light, you need another light to be able to see it. Exactly. This is a helmet. Helmets are really handy. Caves are pretty hard and rocky. And
2: And then there's the protective gear. Helmets, gloves, and a cave suit to protect your clothes and give you padding on your butt and knees. There's a lot of specialized gear, too, if you'll be climbing up or down or if you expect a lot of water. But this whole time, Ezra, there was one question I was dying to ask, and I finally just blurted it out. Does he ever get scared in a cave?
3: Yeah. Um, th- there are times that you're trying to go through a narrow space. And what I call tight, which is, I'm sure, way beyond what other people tolerate, is, but when I have to exhale to be able to make forward progress, that that's getting tight. And there are times when something gets stuck, a foot or an arm, and I really can't figure out what I need to do. And that's like, you know, panicking is not going to help you here. And there's usually somebody nearby and gee, can you take a look at my foot and move it and see if I can get it free? So why would someone put themselves through this Carrie?
2: That's the thing. He loves this challenge. That experience of having to literally get out of tight spots.
3: There are unique places with unique life forms in it and The activity itself requires doing it with a small group of people that you really need to trust and that special bond that forms. It's really a fun mind game. I mean, it's kind of like a a form of meditation.
1: And that's our latest show. Check out our website for a list of caves and some information about the San Joaquin Valley Grotto. Share a picture of your favorite cave on Instagram or Twitter. We're at Outdoorsy Pod on both.
2: Our editor is Joe Moore, and we had engineering help from Don Weaver.
1: Our music is by Kevin McLeod and Ben Sound.
2: Stay tuned for future shows when we visit other wild places and interview the people who love them. For Outdoorsy, I'm Carrie Klein.
1: And I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.